Well, we're going to read from the Bible together now, and we're turning to Psalm 23. You'll find Psalm 23 on page 458 of the Pew Bibles, page 458. You don't need me to tell you the title of this psalm or what this psalm is about. The Lord is my shepherd. It's a psalm of David. Uh, The praise group are going to introduce a new version of the 23rd Psalm to us in just a moment or two. But we're going to read it together now, and then we're going to be thinking about it later in our service. So Psalm 23, it's page 458 in your pew Bibles, and this is God's word to us. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Amen. And we thank God for his word to us this evening. Thank you to the praise group for bringing that piece to us. We're going to take our Bibles again just now and look at Psalm 23 together. You'll find that Psalm on page 458 of your pew Bibles. And as you're turning to it, let's pray for God's help. Father, help us to press the reset button when it comes to this psalm. We know it so, so well. We have strong emotional attachments to it. Help us to come to it with fresh eyes and fresh hearts so that we might receive your truth again and point us to Christ. Help us to see him in this psalm. And do us good, we pray, by your word and through your spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, this evening, as we prepare to meet around the Lord's table together, we're going to think about this most familiar psalm. Uh, We're continuing our series of sovereign grace psalms, as you'll know, and tonight we've chosen Psalm 23 deliberately because it's such a helpful psalm in light of what we're about to do later in our service. Uh, Tonight, I feel like I'm about to do something quite dangerous, though, and that is that I'm going to try and explain, teach, preach from Psalm 23. I've, I've never done this before in sort of a normal church service. Uh, one person who was reading this week said that only a vandal would preach this psalm. Uh, this is, if you like, a biblical Banksy. Uh, you know Banksy, the graffiti artist who sprays things in obscure places and people go mad to one, see his work, and two, preserve it. His works are c- considered cultural relics nowadays. Uh, there was a story last December about a Banksy mural that appeared in Ukraine It was a painting of a woman in a gas mask and dressing gown holding a fire extinguisher, and it appeared on the side of a scorched building in a city called Hostomol. Some people cut away a section of the war-damaged wall where it was was spread. Uh, They managed to slice off a section of the board and plaster, but they didn't get very far, and they were stopped, and the the painting was retrieved. Psalm 23 is a a biblical Banksy in that we all love it, and we would be very disappointed if someone took it away from us and destroyed it. 
I mean, just imagine if Psalm 23 wasn't in the Bible. It would be so terrible. This is the most beloved Psalm in the Psalter. It's probably also the most well-known and beloved chapter in the whole of the Bible. Uh, Some of you, I'm sure, learned it in King James English when you were growing up in Sunday school here in Bucknah. Uh, You could probably recite it now as well. Uh, Some of you might have it up in your homes. You maybe put it in an artsy frame and it's sitting in pride of place on your mantelpiece. Uh, Maybe you've, you've got or your granny has got one of those olden day versions where the opening words of the psalm are, are sewn by needle and thread and it's been mounted and framed and hangs above the front door. It's been set to music many times. There's the metrical version that we all know. There's the modern version of the metrical version, which has the added chorus. We're going to sing that in a moment. There's the new version the praise group have just introduced to us and we're going to sing that to close our service. And those are just three versions. I can think of at least two more and you maybe can as well. I, I think I've also read it or heard it at every single funeral I've ever taken or ever been at. Uh, I didn't check, but I have a record of every funeral I've ever done in Bucna, and I would guess that at some point I've read Psalm 23, whether in the family home, in the service, or at the graveside. I'd like somebody to read it at my funeral. If someone is watching this service sometime in the future, who knows how or who knows when, they, they maybe stumble on it during a ramble through YouTube. If you're watching this in the future and I have died, Please read Psalm 23. It's so familiar uh, and there's there's so much comfort in it, so much good news. Uh, And even people who aren't Christians like the sound of it. People who aren't Christians generally love this psalm on quite a superficial level. Uh, The fans of West Bromwich Albion, the English football team, sing the Lord is my shepherd at matches. Uh, The story goes that a set of fans found a hymn book on a bus to a game and started singing all the songs inside and that's the one that stuck. There's an underlying knowledge of, at minimum, the first five words. Probably two reasons why people who aren't Christians love the 23rd Psalm. The first is that it's familiar, especially if they've come from a history of of being in a church or or growing up around a church. They can barely hear the first five words of the Psalm without a mountain of memories crashing in. There's a lot of history with this Psalm for believers and unbelievers alike. It's tied up of memories of loved ones in hospital beds, It's connected to times we've spent at bedsides and gravesides. The second reason why people who aren't Christians love this psalm is because it paints a beautiful picture. It's such a pastoral psalm. There are images of of sheep and shepherds. It's symbolic and tranquil. Uh, As you'll know, Lynn is from Kilkeel, and it's a beautiful part of our island. It's quite like up here, only there are more mountains, and they're almost all bigger than the one we have beside us. Over the years, we have climbed a few together, not, not that many, but enough to see some of the scenery. And it's amazing. Rolling hills, stone walls that were hand-built and have been preserved for generations, sheep all over the place, scattered on the high ground. That, that's kind of what we picture when we read Psalm 23. It's part of the fabric of our culture. You don't have to be a Christian to hear the opening bars of Amazing Grace to have a, a sense of dignity and reverence. And it's the same with Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd. Everyone knows those five words. There are two other reasons why Psalm 23 is beloved to each one of us though. And for the rest of our time together, I want to talk to you about these two reasons. These reasons are going to take us to the heart of this psalm. First of all, Psalm 23 holds a special place in our hearts because of the striking contrasts it contains because of the striking contrasts it contains. 
To put that another more wordy way, it is to say that the things that are put next to each other in Psalm 23 are things that don't seem like they should go next to each other. The psalm begins in verse 1 with the words, The Lord is my shepherd. Now, you need to look carefully and notice that the word Lord is in uppercase letters, big writing. You know when you're writing a message on your phone and you put caps lock on by mistake and the writing is all big and it looks like you're shouting? Well, that's the way the word Lord is here. It's not a slip of the typist's hand. It's the English translation of the Hebrew word Yahweh. That, that Hebrew word can't really be translated, but that's the best our limited, finite human minds can come up with. Yahweh, Jehovah, the covenant God, the, the great I am, is my shepherd. That, that's how the psalm starts. We're very familiar with shepherding in this part of the world, but in Bible times, it, it wasn't a very glamorous, glamorous job at all. Uh, shepherds were often people from the lower classes. Think of the shepherds who, who visited Christ shortly after he was born. Uh, they were also sometimes the youngest son. So think of David being sent out into the fields by his father, Jesse. They eventually received greater status in Israel, but it took a long time. Put those two things together. The Lord is my shepherd. The Lord is my king, my sovereign, my ruler, my God. Yes, absolutely. But he's also my shepherd. He's out there watching and guiding those smelly, sometimes stupid sheep. He's there to protect them, know them by name, take care of them. The Lord is my shepherd. It's a striking contrast. There's another contrast in verse 4. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. The, the rod and the staff were or are instruments of discipline and correction. Shepherds use the rod, use the staff to, to get sheep to go where they need to go. It's maybe blue pipe nowadays. In ancient times, the, the, the rod and staff would have been used to fight off wolves or thieves. But it sort of jars with us because... When we hear of rod or staff, what do we think of? I don't know what you think of, but I think of the wooden spoon. Are you familiar with the work of the wooden spoon? You did something you shouldn't have uh, when you were younger, and out came the wooden spoon, and off you ran as fast as you could. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. It's like saying, your, your wooden spoon, it comforts me. Really? How, how is that possible? Why, why use the pictures of rod and staff? Well, they represent the shepherd's commitment to keep us in line, to, to, to keep us from straying, to, to bring us back if we wander from the path. The, the fool hates the rod. Proverbs thirteen twenty four says, whoever spares the rod hates his son, but he who loves him is diligent to discipline him. As we walk through this life, as we walk through the valley of the shadow of death even, we can say, I'm so glad that the Lord is my shepherd and that he has a rod and a staff to keep me in line because, because that's what I really need. One more contrast that's worth mentioning. Verse 5, you, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. What, what is God doing preparing a table when my enemies are nearby? It doesn't make sense. Surely it would be better if either the table was far away from my enemies or if he came with a sword to fight my enemies and to, to defeat my enemies. But it's that he prepares a table before me in the presence of my enemies. And the point is that he gives us what we need the most at just the right time. He feeds you. He fills your cup. He heals your wounds. What else would you want in the presence of your enemies? 
through the host who would prepare a table for you. Psalm 23 holds a special place in our hearts because of the striking contrasts it contains. The Lord, capital letters, so Yahweh, he is our shepherd. His rod and staff are for our benefit and he gives us a table and provision at just the right time. But, but it also holds a special place in our hearts and in our Christian faith because it finds it, its ultimate fulfillment in Christ. That's the second thing we want to say tonight. Psalm 23 holds a special place in our hearts because it finds its ultimate fulfillment in Christ. And this is the, the point of departure between Christians and non-Christians as, as they read this psalm. Non-Christians, people who, are, who don't know Jesus, just think this is a really nice poem, really profound poem. But Christians say, no, 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 that this, this means something greater. This, this is telling us about Jesus. Think of the two dominant images in this psalm. It actually took me to work on this psalm properly this week to realize that there are two different images, pictures in play. They are that the Lord is a shepherd and that the Lord is a host. He's described as a shepherd in verses four to six, verses, uh, uh, verses one to four, and then he's described as a host in verses five and six. You can make the mistake of thinking that this psalm is all about the shepherd. We call it the shepherd psalm. But that won't make sense when you make it to verse 5 because then you'll have a sheep eating at a table with another sheep pouring oil over its head. It's a bit like that painting of the dogs playing pool. Have you ever seen that painting? So six dogs around a pool table and one has got a cue in its hand ready to take a shot. Doesn't make a lot of sense as a painting and it would be the same if we were to imagine sheep eating at a table. No, there are two images at play, the shepherd and the host. And Christ perfectly fulfills both. He fulfills the role of a shepherd because he is the good shepherd, the one who has laid down his life for the sheep. He explains all this in John chapter 10. As the ultimate shepherd, he, he feeds us and knows us by name. He won't let strangers enter the sheepfold. His yoke is easy and his burden light. He gives us rest for our souls. He calls us by name and we know the master's voice. Je Jesus is our shepherd. He says to us, I I'll give you rest from your labors. I'll, I'll give you rest from your sins. I'll, I'll lead you by my word. I I'll protect, protect you by my spirit. N not a hair will fall from your head that I won't know about first of all. So, so some of us may only know Christ as our king or, or Christ as our savior. But do you know Christ as your shepherd? The one who's there to protect you, carry you, guard you, lead you, defend you. He knows when you need cool water. He knows when you need green pastures. And he's there to lead you and, and help you find them. And Christ is the ultimate perfect host. Think of John 13 to 16, the upper room discourse. What, what happens in those chapters? Well, Jesus organizes the Last Supper. He goes and he prepares a place. He tells the disciples to go ahead of him and explains they'll find a man, they'll find a jar, they'll find a donkey, they'll find a room, and he has prepared everything for them. Jesus exercised hospitality the night before he died, <coughs> just hours before his crucifixion. He started by washing his disciples' feet. He basically said, let, let me be a host to you. Let me clean you. Let me welcome you. To understand it in our context, we might, might, might think of someone saying to us, let, let me take your coat. You're so welcome here. Come on in. 
Can I get you something to drink? Can I, can I get you something to eat? Can I get you a seat? Are you comfortable? Imagine pre- preparing for a big dinner party, a, a family gathering for a birthday or a special anniversary. You would want to be a great host or hostess. The amazing thing about Christ is that at the Last Supper, he's not only the host of the meal, but he is the meal. Do you remember what Jesus said in John 6? Just listen. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. Jesus is the ultimate greatest host. He fulfills what David was speaking of here in such a greater sense. And the thing is, Jesus comes and prepares a table before our enemies, but it's more than that, isn't it? He prepares a table for his enemies. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. While we had nothing but enmity for God, He would prepare a meal for us. He didn't just prepare a meal though. He gave his life to be the meal. Psalm 23 holds a special place in our hearts because of the striking contrasts it contains. The things that are put next to each other in Psalm 23 are things that don't seem like they should go next to each other. But the striking contrasts tell us so much about who God is and how he treats us. And Psalm 23 holds a special place in our hearts because it finds its ultimate fulfillment in Christ. The Lord is our shepherd and the Lord is our host. Jesus is our shepherd and Jesus is our host. You think all of that's good, but then you come to verse six. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. The, the promise of the end of this psalm is that through Christ, through faith in Christ, goodness and mercy will not let you out of their sight. Uh, And it's through all of your days. Uh, Let me give you two pictures that illustrate this. One is better than the other. Let me start with a weaker one. Imagine that you're you're at a restaurant and you're having just a beautiful meal, a lovely meal. Steak, pepper sauce, chunky chips, uh, and you run out of water, but the waiter comes at just the right time and says, would you like something more to drink? And you're gasping for a drink because... The pepper sauce, well, it's kind of spicy. That's what goodness and mercy are like. God pours them into our lives just when we need them. It's not my favorite illustration because it kind of turns God into some kind of divine waiter who gives us what we want when we demand it. That's not what God is like at all, but I hope you get the sense of the the illustration. The next illustration is probably better. Do Do you remember when you were a child how you used to play tag or catch or 4040. Do you remember 4040? That was a game. In 4040, you had to choose a landmark as a base. And if you weren't it, you had to run and hide. I have memories of running around a caravan site and one of those old red telephone boxes being base. If you were it, you had to run and find others, see them, run back, touch base, and shout, 4040, I see Stephen. And if the player you were trying to catch was behind an object, you had to shout, 4040, I see Stephen behind a shed or a telephone box or a caravan or whatever it is. That, that, that's what goodness and mercy are like. We naturally run from God and hide from him and rebel against him. But instead of 40-40, he shouts 23-6. I see Stephen needs some goodness and mercy. 
The, the, the sense of the first half of verse six is that the goodness and mercy of God will chase you and pursue you and follow you every day, all the days of your life. There'll be days when you turn around and go, oh, there's some of God's goodness and mercy. You could be going through the worst time and there they are, twin blessings known as goodness and mercy. But that's not all. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Isn't it amazing how how beautiful and precious home can be to us. In this part of the world, I think we have a strong sense of home. We have a strong sense of the importance and value of home. Uh, Some of you have lived in the same place your whole life and you've traveled and when you've come home, you've said, the place we went to was amazing, but I I just couldn't live anywhere else apart from home. So so, so some of you have had long stays in hospital and on the day you finally got home, you you were so happy and relieved. Do, Do you ever feel like you're not quite home yet? This world doesn't quite feel like home. You're not completely settled or satisfied or really at rest. There's always this longing, this this stirring in your heart. That's a good thing because you're not home yet if you're in Christ. One day you're going to dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Goodness and mercy are, are going to be nipping at your heels all the days of your life until you make it home. The, the, the goal of this drama we call life is unbroken, delightful fellowship with the Lord, the, the God so beautifully spoken of in Psalm 23, our shepherd and host. The, the, the goal of our salvation is that we would be with Christ forever. And when we're with him, what will we say? When I behold him face to face, then I will look and see goodness and mercy from his hand surely have followed me. This is a great psalm. Everyone loves it. But if we know and love the Lord Jesus, it should fill our hearts with joy. It's a biblical banksy. Just imagine if this wasn't in the Bible. Do you see what would be missing? It would just be awful. Do you see what you're missing if you're here tonight or if you're watching online and you're not a Christian? And under the radar way to think of Psalm 23 is to imagine this psalm being written in negative terms. It tells us about what we have through the Lord, because of the Lord. But, it, but imagine it was written about someone's experience of, of not knowing or not having the Lord in their life. So, so, someone has actually done that. You should have a copy of Psalm 23 and anti-Psalm 23 in your pew. It's a double-sided A5 page. I, I printed it out for you because I, I want you to read it with me in the hope of two things. One, that those of you who know Christ will realize in an even deeper way what he gives you. And two, that those of you who don't know Christ will realize the awfulness of your situation. So this is anti-Psalm 23, written by David Paulison. I'm on my own. No one looks out for me or protects me. I experience a continual sense of need Nothing's quite right. I'm always restless. I'm easily frustrated and often disappointed. It's a jungle. I feel overwhelmed. It's a desert. I'm thirsty. My soul feels broken, twisted and stuck. I can't fix myself. I stumble down some dark paths. 
Still, I insist, I want to do what I want, when I want, how I want. But life's confusing. Why don't things ever really work out? I'm haunted by emptiness and futility, shadows of death. I fear the big hurt and final loss. Death is waiting for me at the end of every road, but I'd rather not think about that. I spent my life protecting myself. Bad things can happen. I find no lasting comfort. I'm alone, facing everything that could hurt me. Are my friends really friends? Other people use me for their own ends. I, I can't really trust anyone. No one has my back. And I'm so much all about me, sometimes it's sickening. I belong to no one except myself. My cup is never quite full enough. I'm left empty. Disappointment follows me all the days of my life. Will I just be obliterated into nothingness? Will I be alone forever, homeless, free falling into void? Sartre said, hell is other people. I have to add, hell is also myself. It's a living death, and then I die. That's what it's like for anyone who doesn't know the Lord as their savior, king, shepherd, or host. If that's where you are tonight, if Auntie Sam, in, in, in Auntie Sam 23 in any way describes your situation, you shouldn't dwell or linger on it. You should look at Psalm 23 over the page. You should look to the shepherd of Psalm 23. You should look to the host of Psalm 23. And you should trust him. You should, you should run to him. You should look to Christ because, because that's who this psalm is all about. He is the one who will restore you lead you, comfort you, chase you with his goodness and mercy, and then bring you to be with him forever. For those of us who know and love Christ, our hearts should be bursting with praise and thanksgiving. So some of us maybe need a spiritual lift as a new week begins. Here we have a spiritual tonic that warms our souls. Take that little sheet of paper home with you tonight. Stick it in your Bible, stick it in your fridge. Maybe put it in an artsy frame. But make sure that the text of Psalm 23 is always at the top, always at the front, so that you can remember the striking contra contrast it contains and of how it finds its ultimate fulfillment in Christ. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. Let's pray together. Father, how we thank you for this most familiar psalm. And as we come to it, as your people, as we respond to you in prayer, we come with hearts that are overflowing with thanksgiving. How we thank you for this precious, precious psalm, for how you are our shepherd and host. We pray that we would find our rest and satisfaction in you tonight. We pray that we would run to Christ look to Christ, follow Christ. And we pray for those who haven't yet trusted in him, that they might see that they are at the moment represented by anti-Sam 23. But we pray that by your spirit, by your grace, you might bring them to the point where they're represented 
by Psalm 23, represented by the good shepherd who has laid down his life for the sheep. Father, we thank you for your word. And we pray that you bless it to all of our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen.